you walk down these legendary halls and you pass some people and you can hear the gears in their brain turning and you just know that they're, they're possibly working on the future of X. For every god that's designing a robot, there has to be someone to make sure that robot's not going to kill someone. There are a lot of acapella groups at MIT. I was really lucky. What was the name of yours? The Pocket Protectors? Or? <laughs> no, we're the Corollaries of MIT. We are MIT's oldest co-ed acapella group. How was the uh, scavenger hunt for you? Uh, I didn't participate. What? Uh, yeah, I was uh, okay. I was so immersed in my project. Then. Is that the real answer or is that the answer you no. want on tape? No, that's the real answer. <laughs> From Nokia Bell Labs... This is Future Human, a series about the human potential of technology. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was in college getting my liberal arts degree, my summer jobs consisted mostly of mind-numbing office temp work or flipping burgers. As for my more career-oriented peers, well, even the ones who scored the elusive law firm slot, they were generally making copies and fetching coffee. So... When Bell Labs asked me to speak to some of their 2018 summer interns, I was admittedly skeptical. I mean, were these students able to really get their hands dirty? I spent my first few weeks working on the IMU, inertial measurement unit. Uh, It's an accelerometer, a gyroscope, and a magnetometer. And it's a sensor that allows you to tell what direction you're facing, how fast you're spinning, and how fast you're moving in a specific direction. So, Well, as you can hear from this intern named Owen... The answer is a resounding yes. And over the course of one summer, the work this group of interns has done has had substantive impact on some of Bell Labs' core departments. Not to mention leaving a lasting impression on the interns themselves. This is episode 11. I know what you did this summer. In North America alone, Bell Labs sponsors 130 summer internships. And the array of disciplines and degrees represented by the six Murray Hill-based interns I spoke with is impressive. There's Danielle, who earned a BA in Music and Technology from nearby Stevens Institute of Technology, and Ahmad, who received BS and MS degrees in his native Pakistan and is now pursuing a PhD in Electrical and Computer Engineering at the University of Oklahoma in Tulsa. Their paths to the internship are similarly diverse. From Madeline, the MIT corollary we heard from in the intro. A couple of people at my church work here, and that's how I actually heard about the internship. I think every time we would pass it by car, my mom would be like, that's Bell Labs, it's a really cool place. But other than that, I didn't know much about it. Taylor, who hails from Buffalo, New York, and attends Rochester Institute of Technology, grew up tinkering with electrical devices. He heard tales of Bell Labs' achievements from his dad, an electronics executive, when he was growing up. For others, there's a deeper lineage. David, a philosophy PhD candidate at UC Davis, came here to research deep neural networks in the company's math and algorithms department. So we're trying to understand how deep neural networks work, right? And so this is what's letting image classification work so well. There's lots of different theories that have been tried. We have two that we're looking at right now. One uses mutual information, right, which was developed by Shannon here back in the 40s and 50s. And you're studying it in 2018. Yeah, Shannon uh, really knew what he was doing. And for Owen, 
who's honing his passion for robotics as a computer engineering major at nearby New Jersey Institute of Technology, coming here felt a bit like fate. I was on my high school robotics team at Bridgewater High School. We did the first robotics competition. My current boss, Michael Koss, he mentors a local team. And when I was in high school, I would love going around talking to other teams, learning about the robots, talking to mentors, finding out what they did. And I connected with him, found out he worked at Bell Labs. Our team came and did a demo. And at the beginning of last summer, so like a year ago, he said, hey, I'm looking for interns for next summer. Are you interested? And I said, absolutely, Bell Labs, the history there, it's incredible. So I was fortunate enough to come on board quite early and not really do much other searching. I knew I was going to come here for a while. The end goal for the project I'm working on is robots roaming the halls of Bell Labs, of other companies, and either doing assistance. So I should be able to walk up to a robot and say, hey, go get me a coffee, or go to Jim's office and get the paperwork that I need. And that, that's You should a- just have kids if you want that. <laughs> that, that sounds illegal. <laughs> Your own kids. That might work. Robots, you can be a little harsher too. <laughs> and they can do things that humans can't. Security. They can go on oil rigs and roam around, take data measurements in places that are not safe for people. That's a far out goal. Right now we're looking at how do we get robots to safely uh, work with humans? How do we get them to know exactly where they are at all times? How do we do that reliably with bad connections? If the network drops, how do you not run someone over? And so we're, we're starting right now with basic robots. Right now we're just navigating and figuring out the beginnings of this project. As he describes his project, Visions of killer robot dogs from Black Mirror fill my head. Although Owen is quick to reiterate that there's a keen appreciation for the ethics of what they're doing. For every guy that's designing a robot, there has to be someone to make sure that robot's not going to kill someone. And in true cross-disciplinary Bell Labs fashion, Owen and his colleagues in the Emerging Materials and Component Devices Lab are already thinking about how to put a friendly face on their robots. Literally. And it involves their peers in the EAT department. Right now, there are people come in for demos and they step back when the robot starts moving because it's a little loud, it can be intimidating. But there are definitely ways that we can make them more inviting to people. So the E department's going to come in and make these robots look not exactly human-like, but more inviting. The Experiments in Arts and Technology group, whose origins are chronicled in episode one of this podcast, hosted two amazing interns over the summer. Madeline, who's majoring in electrical engineering and computer science and music at MIT, and Danielle, the music and tech major from Stevens. While their departmental peers may be focused on gussying up Owen's robots, Madeline and Danielle have been focused on another project. Madeline explains. Our project is to take the typical surround sound, which is just placing a bunch of speakers all around the audience and having all the speakers play at you, and taking that and packaging it so that you can use it in any audience, in any venue, just through the speakers of your cell phone. So it's localized audio streaming for performance. Danielle, who previously interned under Ebony Smith, the audio engineer and producer for Atlantic Records, takes us through what the audience will experience. So it's controlling all those individual audio channels so you can do any sort of path you want through the cell phones. You can do a pan from the left side of the audience to the right. You can specialize and go as specific as maybe one phone and do like random patterns with the specific phones. And just to keep it all in the family, a Stevens Institute professor, the musician and composer Lainey Pfefferman, 
is creating a new work utilizing this technology, and we'll be debuting it later this year. So self-navigating robots and cell phone surround sound are impressive indeed. But truth be told, many of the summer projects are focused on making big advances behind the scenes. What would you say is the most apparent consumer product reliant on this sort of technology? Like, Yeah, no, it's a reasonable question. This is David, the neural nets expert. Maybe one of the creepier uses is is something Facebook is doing, right? So if you're recognizing images, like you recognize a person from it, I'm fairly certain that that deep neural networks are used that way. The stuff I'm doing is pretty far removed from the consumer, uh, I, I have to say. It'll make the life of the engineers who are designing these things more doable, right? Because right now, designing them is basically black magic. And the people who can do it I mean, yeah, they make millions, which is fine, but uh, it would be good to understand why these things work if we want to make it more robust and scalable. In the case of Ahmad, who came from Pakistan to study self-organizing networks at Tulsa, the more successful he is, the less apparent it will be to the end user. The best outcome for me out of this project would be that we can actually make the user blind to network capacity. That would be the ultimate goal. You wouldn't have to worry about how many people are using the network at any given time. Working in the Smart Networks Fabrics Lab, he focused on using algorithms to reduce the amount of capacity a network uses for self-maintenance. So there's more bandwidth for user-facing applications. This work has immense implications for the evolving category of wearables. You could have all the sensors not just on your body, but within your body. And those sensors could be communicating with the network. And that communication would then have more capacity to send data back and forth instead of just sending data about the network health. Taylor, the Buffalo, New York-born electrical whiz, worked in the industry standards group under the CTO of Reliability. He's hoping the work he's doing will contribute to manufacturers becoming more energy efficient. My research is focusing on new manufacturing methods for electronics and really focusing on lower temperature solders. And from that, we're hoping to really gain a lot of benefits from these low temperature solders. So right away, we can implement these into manufacturing facilities that are building Nokia products and really go in from there. And if you look at a factory, uh, the operations of a factory, by enabling the whole factory to run at lower temperatures, you have a positive uh, environmental impact as well. Because we're talking, they're constantly running these factories. And in what may be the ultimate bring an apple to the teacher move, Taylor showed up extra prepared. I know this is a podcast, but I brought some uh, visual aids. But essentially, like what we do, we describe we, this. So we have a electronic. By the board. way, this is the only guy. No offense to the others. This is the only guy who walked in with notes, and now he's he has a 
demo of a, what is this? This is this a is cutout uh, cross section of electronic IC. So this could be a electronic uh, integrated circuit. We have this huge board that's probably you know uh, at least 16 by 18 or 16 by 11. And what I get a chance to do is then put this acrylic around it and then use a diamond bandsaw and cut it out because these are all products that failed and we want to know what's going on. So you memorialize their, their yes. in their failed state. Exactly. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to leave it behind. Points for effort, though. What's striking is that across these various projects, there's a sense that each student found exactly what they're looking for. And while the Bell Labs powers that be made sure to schedule lots of fun activities, picnics and scavenger hunts and the like, the real fun seemed to take place more spontaneously. Every time I walk over from building two to building six for lunch, I pass through all these hallways and I look around and I see people and I'm, I'm always wondering, you know, what are these people working on? And if I overhear some conversations, it's really interesting the kind of things that people are working on or they're just talking about. It's really nice. I mean, that whole thing that you get exposed to so much knowledge around here best ideas would come up over water coolers where you're talking about your problem and someone else suggests something from their own domain that you hadn't even thought of. I think that's the most fascinating part of this internship program, the bringing people together from all those different backgrounds. Whether or not the interns realize it, those long corridors in the Murray Hill facility connecting the labs and the cafeteria were purpose-built to inspire just this sort of serendipitous collaboration. You walk down these legendary halls and you pass some people and you can hear the gears in their brain turning and you just know that they're, they're possibly working on the future of X. It's a spirit that Ahmad hopes to bring back to the University of Oklahoma. Coming from a university, a lot of people like to work in silos, their own private areas where they don't want people to bug them. But the thing about Bell Labs that I've found extremely interesting and extremely nice as a researcher is that everyone is open to ideas and everyone is open to communicating at any time you want. That's something that really needs to happen in academia to make academia just as good as the industry. Their summer's over. The interns now turn their thoughts to how the work they've done here might evolve over time. From Madeline and Danielle... When I think about the dynamic localization part and how if you move around, the audio stream will change... For me, I think of like a museum and instead of having to read all the museum cards, now you walk around and once you're in a certain zone, it starts talking to you about like the piece that's in front of you or about what's important about the exhibit. World Stage has done a projection mapping for a huge museum, like a giant cylinder sized building. They had like 11 projectors going around that building and projecting stuff while they're doing live music. It's like incredible the kind of stuff they're doing when they're fusing technology with mediums like art and music and more abstract things like that. Owen has grand plans for the robots. We are looking to move towards jobs that humans can't do, things we haven't thought about yet. And that's difficult. And there's a department at Bell Labs that comes up with grand ideas like this. But ultimately, he'll be happy as long as he's still doing the work. In 10 years, I'm at some place making a robot. No matter where it is, I'll be happy. Everyone's working on robotics and automation in the next cool robot, and no matter where I am, that's what I'll be happy doing. A pretty common theme, actually. Here's David. I mean, I'd love to come back here, possibly, or some other research lab. Basically, I want to keep working on these same sorts of problems. Where that happens is less important to me than that the work gets done. 
For more information about the topics discussed today, please check our show notes. If you like this episode of Future Human, please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Also, feel free to leave a review at Apple Podcasts. It helps people find the show. Future Human is a production of Nokia Bell Labs. This episode was written and produced by me, Sandy Smolens, for Audiation.fm. It was recorded and mixed at The Loft in Bronxville, New York by Matt Noble, who also composed the theme music with me. Additional production by Kelly Kramer. And special thanks to all the interns, even the ones who didn't bring visual aids. Audiation.